Welcome to Time to Adapt. I'm your host, Max Schaefer, and with me, as always, is the wonderful... Selena Allen. Hi. How are you today, Selena? I'm good. You are? Are you really good? I will tell myself that until I am. <laughs> That's one way to do it. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Fake um, it till you make it. That's my motto. Well, anyways, welcome. We're back. here. We break down movies and the books behind them. That's what we do here at Time to Adapt. So, today we are going to jeez, we are going to dive into V for Vendetta. By, written by Alan Moore and illustrated by David Lloyd, and talk about the film version from 2006. Because there's only one adaptation. There's only one adaptation, yes. Like, in the past, we've had, we've tackled books that have had, like, hundreds of adaptations. So today, thankfully, we only have one to really dig into, and we'll try and dig into it as much as we can. Yes. Um, Before we get but... started... I want to give a good shout-out to our good friends at The Turning Page. If you're in the Milwaukee area, The Turning Page is a really neat comics bookstore. It's on Murray Avenue and... On the east side. On the, it's on the upper east side, and it's it's so much fun. A couple of years ago, it was kind of a kind of a mess. Really, there was a lot of stuff there, but now they've they're, it, it's really nice. Um, they have a cat, Cooper, who is the most adorable cat. He just sits there by the window and just, like, you open the door and he just looks at the door like, I ain't going out. <laughs> and he's so cute. Um, Go there for the cat. Or yeah. the comics. And pretty <laughs> soon they're going to have, um, they're having, like, a big sale. I can't remember what day it is, but they're having a big sale soon. So yeah, they helped sure. uh, get us a, a copy of V for Vendetta to yes. go over uh, for today. So, so thank you so much, Turning Page. And now... We get into V for Vendetta. Okay, so for those who haven't read it, um, just a little background. It is, as you say, a graphic novel. Um, they first appeared uh, in this magazine called The Warrior. I was in black and white. Um, but then they, DC Comics published them in colorized version. So that's kind of... Yeah, and they came out in the black and white versions between 18, 1982 and 1985. Yes. Um, it's, for those who don't know kind of what it's about, it's like a dystopian political thriller story. Kind of about anarchy. <laughs> That's a huge theme in it, is anarchy. The two main factors in, in the comic, at least, are... Um, fascism and anarchy. Mm-hmm. The the government has taken over. That's taken over is very fascist and um, almost very Nordic supremacist type. Um, and they're called um, the Norse. They're called the Norse Norse Fire. And um, they in the comics they they were voted in and they um, got rid of its opponents by concentration camps and rule as a police state. And it's very well. It's sometimes it's in these a, day and age, it's very. It, it seems oddly similar to what goes on in our modern day. Sometimes it's a dark. It's a dark comic, but it's the writing is very compelling. The characters, uh, especially V, 
who is wears this Guy Fox mask. And for those who don't know who Guy Fox is, we'll kind of go into that. But uh, the characters are interesting because there's a lot of characters in it where they're not likable, but they're so compelling that you stick with them. Um, and later on, we'll talk about kind of just the differences and how those characters <coughs> translate from the comic to the book, because there are some changes in how the characters are portrayed. Um, yes. But quickly for the Guy Fox mask, which is basically the main like symbol throughout the book, the film, and which kind of goes beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also known as uh, Guido? Guido? Guido Fox. Guido Fox. Guido Fox, I think. Guido Fox? Or Guido, I don't know. Guido, I think it's Guido. <laughs> okay, Guido. <laughs> then he adopted that while fighting for the Spanish. Um, he was a member of a group of provincial English Catholics, and they were basically the ones who planned... Uh, and failed at the gunpowder plot of 1605. Uh, so when he went to Spain, he went to Spain to seek support for the Catholic rebellion in England, um, but didn't get any success out of that. He later, later met Thomas Winter, who he returned to England with. Uh, Winter introduced Fox to uh, Robert Catsby, who planned to assassinate King James and restore the Catholic monarch. Restore a Catholic monarch to the throne. Yeah, he was a so, he was a total terrorist. Yeah, well, the group was a terrorist group because yeah. they they decided to one of the undercrofts underneath the House of Lords. They were going to put a charge of gunpowder in there and ex- explode the whole thing. Um, but I can't remember his name. But he gave one of them was like iffy about it, and he they were iffy about. Because they knew that there were going to be a few Catholics in the House of Lords during the day that they planned. So this one dude was like, "Eh, I don't feel great about that. So he sent a letter um, saying, you probably shouldn't go to the House of Lords on this day. Okay, bye. And then um, that dude turned in the letter and was like, hey. So they searched Westminster Palace and then they found, like, on November 5th, which is a big part of what's mentioned in the book. Yes. Um... And they found Fox guarding the explosives because he was in charge of it. And over the next few days, he was questioned and tortured extensively. And then he eventually confessed uh, immediately before his execution. He fell from the scaffold where he was being and broke his neck. So he never got to actually be hanged. He kind of just tripped and broke his own neck. Yeah. Um, so. So, Yeah. And so, that's a quick little yeah. happy little story and and just to kind of like get you more in, in like understand like how big it is in, in in British history every November 5th they have Guy Fawkes Day on this day um, they they make a giant effigy of Guy Fawkes and they burn him as a as like a and there's fireworks and there's fireworks it's fun for the whole family oh bring bring your bring your kids <laughs> and um they also have um they they like kids go around and say penny for the guy because they want to get money together so they can buy the proper equipment or the proper like the, the buy like the sticks and stones and I, they get stuff to help burn the stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can't words. I'm so sorry. I, I I just got off work like an hour ago, so <laughs> I'm a little right now. So, but back to this. Back to the comic. Or the graphic novel yeah. to be accurate. So I the make people pop, so the graphic novel started 
Uh, Alan Moore first started working on it in the early 80s. During this time, Margaret Thatcher was in power, and there was a lot of um, talk about how Thatcher was turning the entire turning the turning Britain into a very not not a good place, a place that was almost borderline fascist totalitarian, kind of like the way we look at the Reagan administration. That's how the that's how that's how a lot of England see it. And you know there are people who love her, people who hate her, but yeah. Alan Moore did not like Margaret Thatcher. This book is very anti-Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> oh, without a doubt. So, when they... So there's this whole, like, constant undertone of Thatcherism put within the, the graphic novel. But also there is the constant battle of fascism versus anarchy. Because the fascist state that has taken over pretty much is genocidal and kills off anyone who is not racially pure and V represents everything that is not that he represents pure pure blooded anarchy in the comics you could also say he kind of just uh, embodies chaos because that's kind of what he inflicts throughout yeah the book um, so the story focuses you're first introduced to this character Evie a 16-year-old girl, and sh- through this character, you're then introduced to V, because he saves her from being killed by, basically, secret police. Yeah. Um, throughout the book, you kind of see as he starts to... <laughs> you start to see as he starts to... Um, target certain people to try and disrupt the power that is there and you kind of see it through the character's Evie's perspective because uh, she's kind of along for the ride but also a pretty big player towards the end I don't want to give too much away because it's such a good like it's an interesting read yes um, it's it's so I want to try and be vague, but also kind of give you a hint. Yeah. Well, but we're gonna probably we're gonna spoil a bunch of shit too because it's we're gonna talk about the movie and pretty so. much if you <laughs> if you want definitely check out the graphic novel. Um, there are some major differences in the movie, um, but it's a, it's a shocking amount of it is pretty much still there. There's a few scenes where there are sections where it's like almost word for word. Yes. Um, and then there Where was... I was surprised, I was like, "Holy shit!" Because I knew Alan Moore was—he was not a fan of the movie. Uh, well, ever he's since... not really a fan of any of the adaptations. Ever since From Hell and League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, he refuses to watch any of his adaptations. Which he is did... a blame. <laughs> yeah, and he did get a copy of the script to this one, and that's what he based all of his criticisms against. And we'll get into that when we start talking more about the movie. But as for now. Um... Let's talk about the movie. Yeah. <laughs> so the film was originally um, picked up by the Wachowski, the Wachowskis. At the time, they were brothers, now they're sisters. But we're not getting into that. So as I understand, um, they were originally going to direct it, but instead they they settled on writing and and producing. Mm-hmm. So it directed the director went directing went to James McTeague, whom. It's pretty much, but he's been an AD on a lot of really good films, including the Matrix trilogy, the D- Dark City, and Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. 
But this is like the main film that he's kind of known for. Yeah. Is he works with the uh, the Wachowskis a lot. Yeah. Um. He also did some episodes of Sense Eight, as I understand. So yeah. So the movie was made in two thousand five, um, and I guess at the exact that time there was a lot of um, there was a lot of fear in in the world, and a lot of that fear came from the Bush administration. At least the way that this movie is all of the, the the stuff that Alan Moore was pointing at Margaret Thatcher at in the graphic novel, the Wachowskis are pointing at the Bush administration in this one. For example, there's there's uh, one of the running things that's not in the comic but's in the movie are the black bags. Black bags is those who know the who know um, the the famous photos from Guantanamo Bay of the mm-hmm. prisoners with the with the black bags over their heads. That's uh, that's that's like beyond a reasonable doubt. That's a what the, that's well, that's a nod to that. Um, there's also just like the way that the detention facilities in Lark Hill are very much designed, um, partially off of what the graphic novel was, but also at that point it, it, it was Gitmo. It was Gitmo. Um, so <clears throat> in this, so in the movie, um, for the. I guess we really can't really go into that, that that too much because we need to kind of talk about like the main plot of the story. Yeah. So in this in this universe or in in the in in the world <laughs> in, in a the world, world. <laughs> um it's it's a very similar universe to that of the book except for it's more it's more dystopian and it feels like it's not it doesn't feel very much like our world because there are a few aspects of it which feel not part of our like current world but then they talk about issues that kind of are like well that's a bit like an extreme version of some stuff we're scared about today yeah um so yeah the universes are pretty similar um in the book, it was it was set in the nineties, but kind of it was set between like nineteen ninety six yeah. and I think ninety eight ninety nine. It's it's not exactly like the 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 graphic novel. It takes place over a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. In the movie, it takes place over it's just one year. Yeah, it's it's a crazy year. <laughs> it's a crazy year, and so there's a character. Her name is Evie Hammond. And she basically is taken in by V. Uh, and in the film, she's not 16 years old. And yeah, it, in well, the- in the book, you first get introduced to her out in the dark street trying to prostitute herself. Um, you don't get that at all. And she's all from like film. a workhouse, basically. Yeah. Uh, in the film, she's basically going out after curfew to meet up with her boss. And she's also in her 20s. And she's in her 20s. She's not underage. And in the uh, in, in the in the book, she's a lot more um oblivious. Mm-hmm. And in the in the in the movie, she's very She's very aware of She's aware and she's also got a little bit of rebel to her already. Whereas yeah. in the in the comic she was unquestioning. Yeah. Um so she runs into V V is this. He's like fast talking, but suave, but like he's, I don't know. His intro is, I can't remember specific word for word, but it's like 
almost every word had like a V at the beginning. Ah, uh, yes, the, yeah, the big, the big, uh, his like, big like winded tongue twister, yeah, tongue twister, and then he kills the guys, and it's pretty fun. Yeah, it's just it's, <laughs> it's it was good time. fun, lots of blood, good time. <laughs> um, so there are these fingermen. They stop her. V intervenes and saves her, and then basically. Instead of just being like, off you go, he takes her to his, like, very... The shadow gallery. His beautiful lair, because it's full of books, and I would love to have a lair like that. Yeah, and I don't know if this was in the... in the. I think it's kind of implied in the graphic novel, but it's kind of more stated in the movie that he got all of the things in his... In the shadow gallery from, like, the Ministry of Objectional Material. Yeah. yeah. So he's got, like... He's basically music... archiving stuff that's been banned. Yeah. So he's got books. He's got music. He's got movies. He's got everything that's been, like, censored by the government. And there's... So as the story progresses, V starts plotting... He starts killing off these high rank These people who used to be high-ranking officials at the detention center where he was kept when he um a couple of years earlier yeah you find out that he in oh the thing that's also really different from the the graphic novel and the film is uh the film they use the excuse of a virus to saint mary's virus yes. yeah to to round up people uh people that and then they basically just kind of like torture them and then just kill them yeah whereas in the comic it was just genocide just genocide straight up like they didn't put any like filter over it it was just straight up genocide and in the film they're like oh it's a virus oops yeah and it's implied (laughs) it's pretty much implied that the government created the virus yeah and they chose these three places to make the virus spread faster and they had it like take over for like a month and it was madness 80 80,000 people were killed yeah just and uh, the su- government did it to scare the people into submission and into a state where they just were so scared that they wouldn't question any policy that went forward yeah um so once that happened then they started taking in people who they just didn't like like and there's another great like there's, there's another great parallel i found was that they they imply that some of the um fish some of the high ranking people who V kills profited off of mm-hmm. the miracle cure that, that that came to save people from the virus, including um Prothero. So Prothero is the first person that V kills. In the movie, he's like a or in the graphic novel, he's like a radio guy. He does he's the voice of London. He is this calm and collected voice that tells the world, that tells all of England what's going on. And everybody trusts him. In the movie, he's like, a, he's almost like a, he's a, um, he's a talking head. He's like a Fox News contributor. I know for a fact that they're pointing, they're pointing a finger at um, people like Bill O'Reilly or um, Glenn, Beck, Glenn Beck's a little early for that, but <clears throat> they're, making, they're, they're making a point to call out like, Fox News and syndicated um, cable news networks that just rely on sensationalism and, in Fear. some cases, some yellow journalism stuff, fake news, that stuff. Um, they talked about fake news before fake news was fake news. Yep. That is not fake news. <laughs> that is that is not fake. I shouldn't. 
<laughs> I'm like, it's laughing through pain. Pretty much. <laughs> That's how we are right now. Um, Anyways. So, <laughs> the next, pre- um, as he goes on, he continues to take out these people who, at first they just seem like random people. And then you start to realize that there's a reason, and that's because... And they were all, like... Involved in Lark Hill Detention Center. But they were, like, the top people involved. Yes. They were the ones who made the big decisions. Um, they decided when to release the the cure and all that. Um, and so you kind of... in The thing that's different... Uh, another aspect that's different is, in the film, he has a moral code kind of like he he has he has humanity he has yeah he has humanity so you do sympathize with him in the in the graphic novel you kind of sympathize with him because you're like that was really shitty but he is so laser focused on his goal of just anarchy and chaos yeah anarchy that he kills anyone who's in his path so you're like you're not great so he's dislikable but you're compel you're he's so compelling that you want to continue like finding yes. out what he's gonna do. Whereas yes. in the film, you're like, I bet he's a really nice guy if he wasn't so fucked up from you know Lark Hill. Yeah, and like there are these bits where he goes on tangents in the comics that are obviously like there there there's bits of intrigue and intelligence in there, mm-hmm. but it's implied that a lot of it is um, like an after it's all kind of from all the experiments that were done on him. Yeah, he's kind of, in the comics, he kind of is... Sociopathic. Yeah. So he's brilliant, but he's also crazy. Yeah, he's straight up crazy. Whereas the (laughs) movie really kind of makes him off as this... They make him way more human. They make him more human, and they make him heroic. Yeah. You you kind of root for him in the film, because you're like, yeah, take him out. And in the comics, you're like, could you not kill everybody? Yes. But... So... Yeah, Obviously. so he, he goes through killing all those people. Uh, oh, the main, the president man, ah, so prime minister man. He's in, he's the last one to go. Yes, and in the um, comic, in the movie, his name is Adam Sutler. Yeah, and of course, he's played by uh, the John great John Hurt. Hurt who, I love him. May he rest in peace. He dies in everything. Um. Also, Hugo Weaving, the great Hugo Weaving, plays V. And he was in the movie the entire time, but kept his face covered by the mask the entire time. Mm-hmm. That normally a lot of like actors they don't like those kind of movies because it, it forces them to it for it, it covers their money maker. It covers the money sh- <laughs> the money shot. Um, but after all of this, uh, it definitely kind of helps. Um, you, you forget that it's Hugo Weaving after a while. I didn't Unless, really like, realize. You know, well, the first time I watched it, I wasn't. As aware of, like, I, I didn't pay attention so much as to actors. I was just focused mainly on the story at hand. And now that I I know more, it's interesting to see how each actor kind of portrays different roles. But, yeah, I, I just, you don't, it's a great cast and you don't really get caught up as them as actors. Because a lot of them do a good job as, like, portraying the character in a way that where you forget that there's an actor behind Yes. Behind them. So, so as always, these the both the film both the film and the graphic novel 
deal with the modern fears of totalitarianism and the fears of what comes from it. They do both, they, but they both have very different ways of how they deal with it. So in the graphic novel, spoiler alert, V succeeds in um, causing anarchy and chaos by having, not by really, after he does his main bit of revenge by killing off those re- responsible for his for his pain and suffering in Lark Hill, everything else sort of falls into place without him doing anything. There's a, there's a bit in the graphic novel, it's one of my favorite little clips from it, it's where he's conducting the chaos mm-hmm. from above. And that's the assassination of the prime minister, of the high chancellor, um, the m- characters who show up earlier in the graphic novel end up either being driven to doing insane things or dying. Yeah. And in the movie, it's more of, he has a bigger role in doing it, such as sending everybody the Guy Fox mask and hat and cape. and Yeah, it's very much, um, we discussed this earlier, like the, the graphic novel is all about anarchy and chaos as a way of like freedom, whereas in the film, it's... The emphasis is on revolution. So they're basically two different movements. Um, I feel like it's a the film is a good adaptation. It's just they deliver different messages. Yes. So they're, the characters are very... They're, the aspect or element... I don't know. The essence of some of the characters are very much the same. It's just the messages are different. Uh, the story, the skeleton of the story is still there. Yes. Um, as, like, Lark Hill, like, this dude in a mask trying to basically fight the power just in a different way. Pretty much. And I think that um, definitely one of the... When, when the film came out in... 2005. 2005. And originally they were going to try to release it in on... November the 5th to work yeah. with it. But as I believe, they moved it to... They moved it to... 2006. March. So yeah, it was released... Or, yeah. It was made for 2005, but it wasn't released officially till 2006. And ironically enough, <clears throat> to most people who know this, the mask itself has taken on a life of its own. And it's ironic because it's kind of... The, the people... Like, so... The Guy Fawkes mask has now become, like, the symbol of anonymous. It's become mm-hmm. the symbol of hackers and anarchists and makes its way on 4chan a lot. But we don't talk about 4chan. We don't talk about that. <laughs> um, but also, it's being used, like, in protest against tyranny. And David Lloyd, the, the illustrator, has even said he's happy with people using it. It seems quite unique, and that an icon of popular culture being used this way. But it's just ironic because I don't think people really – they don't get what the – what what it really represents. And the fact that, you know, Guy Fawkes was a terrorist. He was a crazy Catholic who wanted everyone to be Catholic. And if you weren't Catholic, he was going to kill you. Yeah. And now his face is like the representation of freedom from or, the oppression. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's basically becoming a – or it's become a civil – a symbol of revolution. Yes. Interesting, neatly enough. And I guess 
back in the 1600s, he did consider himself a revolutionary. And a hero, yeah. And a hero. Though he was trying to kill people. Yes. So. Quite so. Quite so. And as I said before, Alan Moore refused to watch the movie. However, he did get himself a copy of the script. And I have to find it right now, but there is, um, his whole opinion on it was very much, it was very much what you'd expect from Grumpy Alan Moore. Yeah. Where he has a lot of different, he has a lot of problems with, he has problems with how, how everything is shown and let's see if I can find it real quick. Why can't I find it? Uh, I, I well, had, there's a I bit a... that I pulled up where um, he he stated that when he saw that there wasn't any mention of anarchy as far as he could see and that fascism, fascism had been completely defanged, he thought... Um, well, I'll just read it like verbatim. I mean, I think that any references to racial purity had been um, erased, whereas actually fascists are quite big on racial purity. So he basically was saying the the core of what he was talking about was erased. And true, they didn't they didn't focus on racial purity at all. What the the big thing that they did focus on, like was homophobia. Pretty much, yeah. Um, Stephen Fry was in it. His character, you find out, is gay. And that's one of the reasons why they take him in, not only because he pissed off the government um, by basically showing an... uh, airing something that wasn't censored. And what's interesting is in the comic, his character is completely different. In the in the comic, um, his character. What is his character's name again? Gordon. Gordon. Gordon is a just a, is is just a criminal, and he takes in Evie. Um, they become bedfellows, and that's the most old man way to say. Yeah, they became fuck buddies. They like... fucked. <laughs> they fucked. <laughs> they became bedfellows. Well, you know, we're proper <laughs> on this podcast. No, we're not, right? Not really. We're, 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 we're anyway, trash. Anyway. First episode, we talked about the kid orgy and it. So. Yeah, that's true. We did. <laughs> we talked about that and we talked about... Ugh. Yeah. So... Anyways, he's very different in the yeah. comics. And he's literally killed off maybe a few pages after he's introduced. Yeah. Like, in the movie, he's become, he becomes like a, a late night host. Who... And he's more of a father figure to Evie, whereas in the book, he's her lover. Yeah. And... What's interesting about that, well, for me, it was interesting because when I first saw the movie, I, I myself was in a bit of a an interesting mindset where I was, I was, I wasn't like, I wasn't kind of a fascist, but I kind of had this idea. <laughs> okay, Mac. Okay, let me get into uh... this. Let me get in, Let me hear me out. So. Tell us why you're not a fascist. <laughs> I'm not a fascist, but no, it's not like that. I, that was very bad words bad choice of words for me <laughs> Selena just thinks this is the funniest thing ever okay, I'm, I, I'm tired okay continue Graham's just he doesn't care right now he just doesn't care so I, I was in an interesting point in my life when I 
was starting to question everything and was very much kind of going against what everyone was telling me. Mm-hmm. And especially at the time, you know, what my parents were saying. Yeah. And this movie sort of changed my my view of that. And that was that, especially when it comes to, like, there's a line that Gordon says when they find, a co- he find there's a copy of the Quran mm-hmm. in, his, in his house. He goes, I don't have to be Muslim to find its pictures beautiful or its poetry moving. And it's just, it's a throwaway line. But to me... That meant a lot because I was in kind of a bad place and hearing that sort of made me rethink my entire outlook on life. And it definitely, I think, I think it, I think they didn't expect it to have as much of an imprint on people, but it definitely had an imprint on me and helped me through an interesting part of my life. Yeah, the film is definitely very... Uh, focuses on, like, American-centric conflict um, between, like, neo uh, like, sorry, between liberalism and neoconservatism. So yeah. it's, it's like, as Americans, when we watch it, there's a lot of things that we can pick at to relate to in our current or past political history. So it's it's definitely an interesting film to continue watching at different po- uh, points, like <laughs> post Bush, like post Bush into the Trump, uh, pre like during Obama era, now post like in the Trump time. It's interesting. It's a wild ride, and it's interesting. But... <laughs> there's something that I read from a couple of years back where. V for Vendetta was part of the had a, it had a role in the Arab Spring, where during the Egypt uprisings, there was a, there was an article I read about how pirated versions of V for Vendetta were brought into Egypt, and people saw Adam Sutler as Mubarak and this the whole way he was running the country and the whole idea of freedom coming coming their way. And it's really fascinating, and I didn't really think much about it until I got a little older. And it's it's definitely something that um, I think is worth worth talking about, as well as just some incredible. There's some there's, there's some really incredible stuff in the soundtrack, including, of course, there's like re- re- ref- references. Goodness gracious. Can't words today. Goodness gracious. Goodness gracious. Obviously, the big thing is Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture, which was not in the movie. Or not in the... Jesus. Not in the... Which was not... The big the part dog. was Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture, which was a big part of the movie, was not in the graphic novel at all. They play it so much that, like, every time I see the film, like, I'm humming it mm-hmm. afterwards. It's part of why it's one of my favorite <laughs> classical compositions. I, I think of it all the time. <laughs> So, and then there's obviously, like, at the end credits, there's my favorite Rolling Stones song, Street Fighting Man. <laughs> there's also an interesting um, special version of, um, like, there's, like, an, a dance song. And they have segments of Malcolm X speeches in it and stuff by Gloria Steinman put in it. It's really, it's really cool if you ever get a chance to really get into it. So, going back, going to back up a lot to some of the changes from the book. Another big part is that in the in the book, um, Finch is... 
Fin- and, the, and the Finch is determined to stop V. He wants. He's to- the detective. For yeah. those who don't know, he's a detective. He's played by Stephen Ree. Um, in the film, he's yeah, he's the one trying to hunt him down to stop him, and also in the book, he's hunting down. Mm-hmm. But they they diverge a bit and how intense they get. And yeah, all of that so, go into that more. So in the movie, Finch slowly sympathizes with V. Yeah. Because he kind of comes to this realization that the entire country is sort of... Been done fucked. He's <laughs> done fucked. And he doesn't know if he can trust it anymore. Yeah, he, he's I, the one as who, he's... You kind of, as the audience, uncover what happened at Lark Hill and the role that the government played in making people sick um, with him. So you're starting to see him being like, holy shit, everything that I believed in or I thought I knew is a lie and he starts to sympathize with V and V is obviously portrayed in the film as a freedom fighter and is very sympathetic. Yes. Where, yeah, as in the book, it's a tad bit different. He does not sympathize. He doesn't sympathize and he goes so far as he does, he takes some LSD in order to enter the criminal state of mind and then he goes into Lark Hill and he kind of, he kind of loses his shit. Yeah, and by the yeah. end of by the end of the comic, the the comic ends with him, and it's really kind of a. I didn't like it at first. Well, like when I first read the graphic novel, I didn't like it. I thought it. I didn't really. I the message didn't really get to me, because I was expecting it to be like a triumphant ending, just like the movie. But it's not. It's very much. It's, it's in a way, it's a little darker than. Oh yeah. Than, 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 <laughs> it's it's a little darker than what like the graphic novel was building up to because much like in the movie um v dies he's shot and he dies but in the comics evie takes his place yeah it's a really cool panel where you just like a close-up of the the guy fox mask the smile bit and it's just like you're like holy shit yeah she's now v she takes over and she leads this full-on revolt at the very end of the comic and it ends with that it ends with that because it's like there is no there's nothing after that there's there is no plan the big plan was revolt then what we don't know and we're purposely not told because we don't because much like all other governments when they get overthrown it's a free-for-all i mean look at the french revolution it's just it wasn't just oh we got rid of the monarchs let's good for good on us let's keep moving around like no there was a reign of terror there was blood there was executions so I think that's pretty much what the graphic novel is builds into the movie ends quite triumphantly oh yeah ends with it ends with them blowing up Parliament which by the way in the in the comic they do at the very beginning of the the the, the comic. Um, they blow up Parliament, everyone is there to see it, and they're all, they all take off their mask to see the, the glory of the destruction of this, of the oppressor, and the beginning of hope. And it ends with... It's very hopeful, because you see also faces of people who have died throughout the film, so it's like, their struggle is now, you know, it wasn't for nothing. There's that, and also one thing I noticed that I thought was interesting is that when there, besides people who are who have who have died, there's also um, characters that we see in the background throughout the entire movie, 
who are all there taking off their masks and they're all there with that representation. And at the end, of course, Evie gives this nice speech first. She's like, who, who was, who was you? Like, well, he was a Mendantes from the Count of Monte Cristo. And yeah. He was, he was me. He was he you, you. You and me. <laughs> he was all my poetic. father and my mother and my brother and my second cousin, you know, just yeah. like, <laughs> it's, I'm just kind of riffing off it, but it's, it's, Natalie Portman does a great job. She looks great bald. Yes. It's very rare to pull off. Natalie Portman. Yes. You can be bald around me any day. Completely, completely different thing. Everybody go see Annihilation. Anyway, back to Mac, the Mac, stop. <laughs> We're supposed to be focused here. Are we, though? Anyway, so. Am I ever? No. <laughs> Not really. Before we get off track. We are, we are, oh, yeah. She, second cousin. <laughs> It always comes back to the second cousin. <laughs> no, it doesn't. So, oh lord. In the end, let's let's. let's what do you think about like? Do you prefer the book or the movie? I would say you can't really think of them as the same thing because they're tonally they're very different. Um, I guess you can, I don't know. I'm, I've been like struggling with this cause they're similar in a lot of ways, but then they're so different. So I would say if you've started with the, with the comic and like, that's what you know, that's what you love. Just go into the movie knowing that it's going to be a very, it's going to be a different message. Just like. Instead of anarchy, it's going to be revolution. So, and basically everything else. I think it's a great movie. I've always loved it. I've seen yes. it like 15 times. It's one of those rare movies in my house that everyone in my house likes. So my mom loves it. My dad loves it. I love it. And it's ironic because like, like most people who like, got introduced to the movie first, when you read the comic, you were just like, eh, the movie was better. And this is to me, it's it it's it's it, it kind of hurts me to say it. I kind of prefer the movie over the comic. It's it's definitely a lot more. The movie is way more hopeful, and so if I'm you're, a person who needs hope in his life. <laughs> I'm just gonna if let you're that an out optimist. There. You might prefer the film because the the book is very much like burning shit to the ground. No matter who's in the way. It's great, though. It's a fantastic graphic novel. Yes. Um, I just... I don't... I would say it's a good adaptation in some ways, and in others, not. I am Switzerland on this one. Yeah, Switzerland. Okay. <laughs> well, I've... And I completely think I found the quote that I was looking for earlier. Oh, okay. From Alan Moore after he read the script, where he said... The movie has been turned into a Bush-era parable by people too timid to set a political satire in their own country. It's a thwarted and frustrated and largely impotent American liberal fantasy of someone with, an Ameri with American liberal values standing up against a state by run by neoconservatives, that which is not what the comic Viva Vendetta was about. It was about fascism. It was about anarchy. It was about England. So, well, he's not wrong. He's not. And that's why I'm the really... Thing, that's that's true. Like With so many other adaptations... If you're... And, I feel like you you connect to it differently as an American because, like, it does appeal to Americans. 
especially yeah. liberal Americans. That's yeah. literally what the film is like. And that's, that's how their we audience were... that they're trying to reach. And that's how people, that's how a lot of them were feeling during 2005, 2006. Yeah. Especially, you know, with the Patriot Act. There's so many parallels to the Patriot Act. Oh, yeah. So um, on a completely ironic note, David Lloyd embraced the adaptation. And this is what he said. It's a terrific film. The most extraordinary thing about it for me was seeing scenes I had worked on and crafted for maximum effect in the in the book translated to film with the same degree of care and effect. The transformation scene between Natalie Portman and Hugo Weaving is just great. If you happen to be one of those people who admires the original so much that it changes to it will automatically turn you off, then you may dislike the film. But if you enjoy the original and can accept an adaptation that is different through its source material... But equally as powerful, then you'll be as impressed as I was with it. That's that's well worded. Yeah, they're both right. <laughs> like, yeah, I go, kind of just going off of what you said. Like, it is a powerful film, and I think that's why I f- have a hard time saying it's not a good adaptation. When in fact, it's not a good adaptation if we're thinking of it an adaptation as taking doing being true to the source material it is not true the source material but it's a powerful film still yeah all right that's yeah that's that's my final note on it it's not a true adaptation but it's still great it's to me (laughs) it's a great um piece that can show that you can still adapt a work and get it right even if you completely change the message yeah it's very that's and that's something that's gonna be very hard to do oh yeah you can you can fuck it up you can fuck it up this could have been horrible this could have been the miniseries wrinkle in time horrible people but it wasn't we don't talk about that (laughs) so as always thank you everyone for joining us selena you got anything to say have fun out there in the world. Do your thing. You do your thing. <laughs> do your thing, world. And we will be back in three weeks or so. With yeah, something great. With something great, we'll figure it out. <laughs> okay, thank you for thank, listening. Thank you, and, everyone. And until next time, this has been time to adapt.